Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. Remember that we are all broadcasters, um, that we are all constantly sharing information with other people. And these are small messages. These are messages like, I am stressed. I'm tired. How are you? I, oh, you know, the boss is driving me nuts or I don't deserve to be at this company versus how are you? I'm doing great. I'm grateful. I'm grateful for this opportunity. I'm so excited to see that my son was able to get an A on a math test. Those small changes influence every single business and educational outcome that we know how to track. Um, so when we make those small changes to our communication style, what we find is that it raises our chances of promotion at work by 40% over the next year. We've seen people who uh, deliver one piece of positive praise to one person on their team and are able in three weeks' time to raise the entire team's level of productivity by 31%. So imagine being able to infuse all the people in your company with a higher level of that productive energy. Um, parents who have decided instead of just saying, how was your day? They say, what was the best part of your day or what was the coolest thing you've learned have gotten their kids to not only scan their day for more positive things, but they've been able to also train their brain from a scientific perspective to be more optimistic. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. 
Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Michelle, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, it is my pleasure to have you here. You know, I actually came across your book uh, on Amazon, Broadcasting Happiness, and I was pleasantly surprised to find you were married to a former guest of ours, your husband, Sean Acor. So it was kind of a no-brainer after reading that book and how blown away I was by the concepts in it to invite you to be a guest. So on that note, can you tell us uh, a bit about yourself, your story, uh, your journey, your background, and how that has led you to everything that you're up to now? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I was a CBS news anchor, anchoring two national news programs. And basically, I got tired of telling negative news stories, which anyone watching the news, I'm sure, can understand. Um, And so also, though, what I decided was I, I was really curious about being able to investigate how can we talk about negative news, not just on the news, but around the dinner table with our families, in our businesses, in a way that doesn't leave people feeling hopeless and helpless, but actually empowers them and helps move them forward. So my friends thought I was absolutely insane. I left my job at CBS News, and I went back and got a master's at the University of Pennsylvania in positive psychology, which is a scientific study of happiness and human potential. It's basically how we can use the science to live happier and more successful lives. Um, The only thing is, though, that while there, I, I had this epiphany, and it's that we are all broadcasters. It's not some special power reserved for you know, national CBS broadcasters or professional athletes or celebrities. We all have this incredible power to influence the people around us as parents, as leaders, as friends. The small choices that we make to talk about and focus on certain things in our reality influence other people and how they move throughout their day. So I've become fascinated with this research and now that's what I do. I'm a researcher. And, uh, and an author. Awesome. Well, I am really, really curious about all the things that actually led you to the point of working uh, at CBS as a news anchor. You know, when you look back at the early experiences of your life, uh, growing up, parents, mentors, influences, are there certain inflection points that you think ultimately led you down this path? And if I remember correctly, you actually didn't start out working in news. You were an engineer, correct? Yeah, that's right. Uh, for my undergrad degree and a couple years after, I was in computer engineering uh, the inflection point there, or the influence, was my father, because my father's a computer consultant. So I grew up around computers, taking them apart, putting them together, and figuring out how they work. That led me, I think, to have a certain level of confidence with machines. And so when it came time to pick a major, that's what I picked. I was always interested in math and science, and so for me it was a no-brainer. Um, the thing is, though, that when I got out into the work world and I started writing code at this dot-com that I worked for, what I quickly came to see was that it, it wasn't necessarily the best fit for me, but moreover, I, I wanted to be a news anchor. I, there's something dreamy and amazing about that job. And so I packed my bags and I went out to California. There was a station that I wanted to work at called Channel One News, and I just poured my heart into it. I did everything I possibly could to get experience through internships and through uh, you know, volunteering at cable stations that were in s- the smallest towns you could possibly find. <laughs> um, and then finally got a break, ended up in El Paso, then worked my way to Chicago and then to CBS in New York. Mm. You know, it's interesting because I, I look at where I've ended up. Uh, I'm going to get to be an author, much like yourself, uh, in about six months. I have a book coming out. But 
I, I look back at the earliest part of my life and I think about all the moments like the one you had where you go from deciding you're a computer engineer to saying, you know what, I want to go be a news anchor that I missed or never even thought about at those moments thinking I was stuck in the current situation that I was in. And I'm wondering why you think people miss moments like that in your life and what do you think it is about you that enabled you to make that kind of a leap? There are moments that are incredibly meaningful, but at the time, because we don't have the other pieces of the story, I think we some, sometimes miss that meaning. It's only later on when we see how the story unfolds that we can go back and pinpoint that particular moment as being something transformative and highly influential. You know, I was writing an article this morning, and one of the questions from a journalist that I was working with was, uh, you know, has there been a phrase that you've lived by and how has that influenced your thinking? And I, I was a phenomenal question. And, and what I came to realize was, it was my high school's motto. And I, I mean, I really didn't think about it very much about this uh, through the time in high school, but it's, it's definitely influenced me. And the motto was, find a way or make one. And what I love about that is that, think about if you're an engineer, what's the most important thing you're doing? You're, you're problem solving, you're, you're being resourceful to fix issues, right? Find a way or make one. As a journalist, to tell the story, if you can't get to the person you need, then you need to find somebody else. Find a way or make one. It's really what I've lived my life by, but it's been often unconscious. It wasn't now until now I'm like celebrating my 20th high school reunion this, this spring that it's, it's kind of all gelling together and I see the the way that it's been embedded in my life. Huh. You know, that, that's funny because that, that's exactly what I wanted to ask you about, uh, specifically how the background that you brought from engineering uh, and, and you know computer science influenced and shaped the work you did as a reporter and the way you told stories. Uh, I'm curious, you know, like what lessons did you bring from that in addition to the idea of finding a way and making one? Well, when I first started reporting, I had a big learning curve, to, to put it nicely. I had a lot to learn. And, and most of it was about understanding the parts of the story that are most meaningful, most important to share. As a, especially as a journalist on TV, you, you get limited time. So you have to pick the stuff that's going to emotionally grab somebody and then also the information that they can use to help better their lives. Um, so weaving that in with the stories and the interviews... Um, it was a fascinating journey. I think where the engineering helped me was um, because I learned to be resourceful. I sort of I had this thought, a line of thinking that said, "Okay, I'm I'm just I'm not going to give up if I haven't found what I needed. I, I'm going to Google this or do talk to this person, and you just keep going one foot in front of the other." And ultimately, I, I credit that thinking with giving me some pretty big breaks on stories and, um, and finding the right people that I needed to talk to. So two questions come from that. Um, the other day I was listening to, uh, Tim Ferriss, uh, speak with a guy named Cal Fussman, who is apparently just this master interviewer. And one of the things he said is you go for the heart first before you go for the head. And that's how you get to the emotional thread in any story. And, you know, given your perspective and your background, uh, I'm wondering, one, how you do that uh, and how you get there faster, because it's an incredibly selfish, selfish question. Given what I do, I'm curious about it. <laughs> well, uh, I'll give you a, a great example that now I've uh, begun using in the talks that I give at companies across the globe. Uh, if I talk about this concept of the power lead, mm -hmm. um, about starting off conversations by saying something positive and meaningful and how that can positively change the trajectory of the conversation. That's a lot of information that might not maybe necessarily directly connect with somebody. But when I tell people the story of the best power lead I ever heard, that I think is where people say, oh, and the story is this. So I was working um, in my current position now as a researcher, um, and we were launching a, pro um, a program with Walmart. And the idea was that we went to three cities to share the, the idea of the program as a pilot and then get feedback. And while in the third city, Memphis, this one woman came up to me after hearing our spiel and she said, oh, you guys are happiness researchers. I'm the happiest woman in the world. You should study me. <laughs> and so I said, you know, surprisingly, that's not the first time I've actually heard that. But um, tell me why you're the happiest woman in the world. And she goes on to tell me the story of how she waited until later in life to get married because she hadn't met anyone special until that point. She is supremely happy with this guy. 
And about six months into their marriage, her mother, who she was very close to, died suddenly of health complications. And so her husband was there for her in such a beautiful way, supported her through the, the period of mourning. And just as she is starting to feel better, this is about six months later, he dies in a car accident. And so I'm looking at her thinking, you're the happiest woman in the world with this story. I'm sorry these two things are not you know, gelling. I don't understand. And can you tell me more? And what, what I came to realize was that um, she had every morning decided that she was going to consciously make the choice to be happy. She went through a period of mourning for her husband. But at, at the end of that, she said, okay, now I need to move on with my life in a positive way that's not only good for me, but good for the people around us. So I talked to the people around her, her colleagues and coworkers at Walmart. She was the type of person that would come in and be in a good mood always, giving people high fives and supporting them and complimenting and praising other people. And her power lead, how she started off conversations was, it's a great day. How are you? And I just love that because I think that shows us that even in the midst of the biggest challenges that we'll ever face, we can constantly make the choice to be happy. It's not always easy. And yes, there are terrible things that happen to us and great challenges that we will still have to overcome. But whenever possible, we can make that choice. So I think when I share that story, people say, oh, I can use the power lead with my kids when I come home from work. I can use it with you know my colleagues when I start a meeting. And that's when the real transformation begins. Yeah, well, you know, it's funny, as I told you, I mean, that one concept was what made me think, okay, I got to find Michelle and get her on the show. Because the minute I heard that, I emailed her, I texted my business partner and said, listen, from now on, I want you to start meetings by uh, saying what specific wins. Because I know that the first thing I do when I started a meeting was, okay, these are all the things that need to get done. These are all the problems that need to be solved. And I was amazed at how different it made the entire meeting just by that one thing. Yeah, you know, my father, he just had an interview with somebody and he was very excited about this potential opportunity. The guy jumps on the phone and says, what's one of the biggest mistakes you've made in your career? That's how he starts off the interview. My father was so taken taken aback, you know, and caught off guard that he just, he didn't even really know how to answer. And it makes us scan the world for all the negatives and problems going on versus if we start with something positive, we jumpstart people's brains. We put it in that those brains in a positive place where they're thinking of the successes, wins, resources, connections that they have with other people. And that is what turns on the brain to its highest potential. Hmm. Well, I, I think that makes a, a perfect setup to spend uh, the rest of our time uh, getting deep into uh, the work that you've done. Like I said, I mean, I was so blown away by the book because I, what blew me away was that I could immediately apply every one of these things in my life and it didn't require going and meditating at an ashram in India for seven months. <laughs> I was like, wow, these are practical, useful pieces of advice. And uh, so I'd love to do a deep dive into all of the concepts in the book, maybe explain what they are and then uh, follow them up with an example of each one. Sure. Sounds great. Cool. So let's start right at the beginning. Okay. Um, so overall, uh, you know, I, the, it's to remember that we are all broadcasters, um, that we are all constantly sharing information with other people. And these are small messages. These are messages like, I am stressed. I'm tired. How are you? I, oh, you know, the boss is driving me nuts or I don't deserve to be at this company versus how are you? I'm doing great. I'm grateful. I'm grateful for this opportunity. I'm so excited to see that my son was able to get an A on a math test. Those small changes influence every single business and educational outcome that we know how to track. Um, so when we make those small changes to our communication style, what we find is that it raises our chances of promotion at work by 40% over the next year. We've seen people who uh, deliver one piece of positive praise to one person on their team and are able in three weeks time to raise the entire team's level of productivity by 31%. So imagine being able to infuse all the people in your company with a higher level of that productive energy. Um, parents who have decided instead of just saying, how was your day? They say, what was the best part of your day or what was the coolest thing you've learned have gotten their kids to not only scan their day for more positive things, but they've been able to also train their brain 
from a scientific perspective to be more optimistic. Um, so what I do in the book is I go through seven strategies that you can use to be more influential in a positive way with the people around you. Um, so as we mentioned, the power lead is one of them. I talk about, uh, you know, another example is how to uh, deliver bad news better, to talk about it in a way that communicates to other people a sense of compassion. You're giving context to the situation. You're expressing a sense of commitment to them so that you can uh, move them from point A to point B and ultimately staying solutions focused through that process. Um, and so the first part of the book focuses on uh, on leveraging what's already working right, leveraging those successes. Um, the second part of the book is more about when we're not feeling so positive, we're feeling kind of negative. How do you deal with that, right? How do you fact check your story to find a better story? How do you deliver that bad news that's inevitable in our businesses and in our families? And, and how um, do you ultimately overcome these challenges that seem to be reoccurring uh, in, in our lives. And then the last one is once you've got great positive habits and stories, how do you get them to go viral? How do you get them to spread in your organization or with your family? Um, and we've had people applying it in all domains of their life. My favorite story recently was this guy who we were working with, he was one of our clients, decided to import some of these ideas to his house and with his family. Um, so one of the things we often advocate, uh, advocate is the power of gratitude saying three new and unique things you're grateful for each day for a period of 21 days. We recommend 21 days because it's a nice way to jumpstart a positive habit in our lives. By day 28 and 29, neuroscientists are able actually to see on a brain scan new neural pathways being formed and new parts of the brain lighting up, which is unbelievable. So this guy said, well, I love saying my gratitudes myself and writing them down, but what if we were to say it around the dinner table, which I know is a habit many parents have. It ended up having an unintended consequence, with, especially with his teenage daughter. So his five-year-old kind of was like, oh, dad, this is fun and cute. The teenage daughter not really into it. The wife, of course, supported this behavior, and they all started saying their gratitudes. Um, cut to like two or three weeks later, and the dad gets a call from one of the girl the his teenage daughter's girlfriend's fathers the other dads and the other dad says uh your daughter was at my house for sleep over this past weekend and we have to talk he's like oh no what did my daughter do this time what his daughter had ended up doing was because she felt that the girls at school were being mean and she was now well versed in this practice of speaking up about positive good things that people are doing or good things going on in her life. She decided to get all the girls to sit down in a circle at the sleepover and go around the circle and say nice things about one another. And what I love about that is that that dad was it was modeling this this behavior of speaking up about the positive, being grateful and praising the people around him and it was so infectious that the daughter adopted the behavior and then spread it to her friends. So um, what, what I think that the major conclusion uh, from what I've seen in my work and from the book is that when we make those, as I mentioned, small changes to our, or the way we communicate and we actually bring more attention to the good things going on in life, we, we give license to other people to feel as if they can talk about the good stuff as well. And it reorients their brain to focus more on that versus the hassles, complaints, and problems that everyone has in their lives. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. You know, I, I want to talk uh, briefly about dealing with the negative aspects of this, because I think that, you know, from what I've found is, is we tend to have a bit of a negativity bias, uh, at least in my experience. And so where I want to talk about it from is, you know, when really, really bad things happen, because I know you talked a bit in the book about dealing with depression and anxiety and um, that fueling facts piece was so, you know, resonant with me that I literally printed out a list of my own fueling facts Um, and put it on my wall as a a constant reminder because I was so blown away by that concept. But, you know, you know, the thing that I'm really interested in is one, if our natural tendency is to have a negativity bias, one, how do you shift it, um, you know, one bit at a time? And then, of course, how do you deal with this from the context of anxiety, depression, worry, and of course, negative people in your life, which I realize like four questions in one. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> um, so I'll answer half of one and a piece of the other, and I think it'll all cobble together to something <laughs> hopefully useful. <laughs> um, okay, so w- first of all, um, when I was in my mid 20s, I experienced a year long bout with depression. And I realized depression is different for everybody. For me, I think part of the root cause was I was working, I got a job in London. I was so excited at the beginning of the year. But when I got there, because I was working from home and because I had no friends, I was socially isolated. And that doesn't work for me. My personality is, in general, very outgoing. And so I think I thrive on the energy of, of connecting with other people, as most people do. But um, So anyway, uh, I got to the point where I knew that I was at an inflection point. I was either going to do something about this and hopefully get better, or I was just going to stay languishing and and having these anxious, depressed feelings for a long, long time to come. And so the two things that helped me, exercise was incredibly transformative, but not for the reasons that a lot of people often think. Yes, I got a boost of serotonin and those other endorphins, uh, but also what I think was really important about that experience of going to the gym every single day was I was getting out of the house and I was doing something that made me feel better. So it made me, it made, it communicated to my brain that my happiness was within my control. If I went to work out and I did this day after day, I felt better and better and better. So I knew it was something, a habit, a positive habit I could go back to, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the second thing that I, you know, so that's more of a, a body approach. And then, but I also wanted to take a mind approach. And the mind approach was I applied this 
concept of fact checking, which I devote an entire chapter to. And it is the number one thing I still do today when I'm feeling stressed, blah, off, and I just want to get myself back into a better space. Fact checking is the idea that there are stories that we have come up with in our lives that either work for us or against us. And if it's not working for us, we can fact check this story to find one that actually fuels us in a different way. And I'll give you a concrete example. Um, you know, oftentimes people are stressed with their deadline and they'll say, I'm never going to finish this project in time. Well, of course not. I have, I'm totally overloaded with work. I'm exhausted. Three of my colleagues are swamped and I have my son's recital later this week. So, ah, oh my gosh, I'm never going to finish this project in time. And listening to that, I totally understand why someone's feeling stressed. I've been there myself, right? Versus if we can find new facts in our environment, we can change the story. Our brain's an incredible processor. We can process 40 to 50 bits of information every single second of the day. The challenge is that from all of our nerve endings, from our body, we are bombarded by more than 11 million bits of information every single second of the day. So what that means is inherently there are choices to be made about how we devote our attention. And we have limited resources to experience our reality. If we focus on all the hassles, complaints, problems, and challenges first, we literally don't have brain resources left over to see the meaning embedded in the work that we do, the things that we're grateful for, the relationships that we have, and all the good stuff. And that stuff is actually fuel for us, for our happiness and our success. So taking that example, I'm never going to finish this project in time, we can fact check it. We figure out what's the smallest uh, idea that is stressing us out, right? So I'm never going to finish that project in time. We come up with a set of facts that prove that story to be true. So if you're stressed about it, and I already listed the set of facts for this story, mm. that's going to be easy, right? Yeah. But then the stretch is to find those other fueling facts that are equally true and don't necessarily prove the original story wrong. They just illuminate a new story. So in this example, it'd be, well, uh, if I'm going to be fair, I've been at this company for four years. I've actually never needed a deadline extension before. And while three of my colleagues are swamped, two others have offered to help me on this project. Oh, wait, I submitted a, a similar proposal last week, and I've got the template on my computer. I could use that as a launch point, and that project was well-received. I got good feedback on it, so I know I'm heading in the right direction. And if I add up the number of hours between 9 and 5 or 9 and 6, between now and the deadline, I actually have more than 20 hours I could actually devote to this project. Mm. And those facts start to calm our brain down as we see this new story. So it's not about whether a story is objectively true or not. It's about whether it's working for us. And if it's stressing us out, like I mentioned, it's not working for us. So how can we see resources, successes, wins, connections, and other positive parts of our reality that together form this new story that propels us forward? Okay, so... That's in the case of something like a deadline. What if it's something much more serious, like a death, an illness, a bankruptcy, like serious financial trouble? Because I know you've talked about some of these things in the book as well, which that honestly was what really got me and, and made me print my own fueling facts and put them on the wall. <laughs> um, but I'd love to hear about that because I think that, you know, the idea of a deadline to me, it's funny because it, it, what used to seem like a big problem to me suddenly doesn't anymore. And I, like one of my mentors told me once, he said, your problems never go away. What changes is your capacity to handle them. Oh, I love that phrase. That's great. Uh, but, you know, speaking of which, you know, I know that people often wrestle with much more serious problems than a deadline. So I'm curious, you know, how this works in those cases. And, you know, what separates the person who is able to actually pull themselves out of a dark spot from the ones who don't based on your research? I think the biggest differentiator is our levels of optimism. So when a serious challenge strikes us, right, when someone... I mean, really serious, right? Financial troubles, when someone passes away that's close to us, there has to be a period of mourning the ramifications of that situation. If you lose a job, you ha I mean, you have to take a beat, and sometimes for some people longer than a beat, to really feel the effects, the emotional effects of that. That's how we have high levels of emotional intelligence and we stay in touch with our hearts and who we are. But from that point... Um, there are lots of moments to make choices both in our mindset and our behavior that either can propel us forward or hold us back. 
there was, um, you know, I, I mean, I, I use lots of examples in the book about how people can are making those small choices. One very so if you're an optimist, just to step back for a second, um, the definition is really interesting. It's you believe that negative events are temporary and local. And most importantly, you believe that your behavior matters. If you're a pessimist, you believe that negative events are permanent and pervasive. So not maybe not permanent for all of time, right? But just for a long period of time. And pervasive means that if some challenge strikes in one domain of your life, like a work or a relationship, it bleeds into others as you experience a low mood or anxiety or problems. So when, you know, this comes to life uh, very clearly when we've been working with people who've recently lost their jobs, both pessimists and optimists will mourn the experience, but because the optimist believes that this is a temporary and local event and that their behavior matters, they more quickly update their resume, jump on LinkedIn, reach out to former colleagues to see if there are opportunities. The pessimists will get around to those opportunity or those those uh, behaviors, but it just takes a lot longer because of how they process the challenge. Now, I think um, obviously I, death is a it just is a different ballpark, a, bit, a different ball game. Um, but uh, but it's even with you know the woman that we met from Walmart, Sharon, she said you know, this is a constant choice. I constantly have to choose to see the parts of my reality, and these are my words, not hers, but. That, that will connect me to the people around me, will help me feel happy in the midst of the fact that I'm never going to see two of the most important people in my life ever again. But, you know, she says, she said to me, I just have to think, what would they want for me? What would my mother and my husband want for me? They wouldn't want me for me to wallow and be sad for the rest of my life. They would want me to briefly remember them, but also constantly choose happiness because I have the opportunity to be alive right now and to experience my life. It's interesting because it sounds to me like you're talking about people who have a difference between an external and an internal locus of control when you uh, describe an optimist versus a pessimist. And I'm curious, is it possible to make a shift from being one type of person to another? Yes. So it's not written in stone. Definitely our genes and our environment play a role. Uh, how your mother or father would process challenges that you would come home with definitely influenced how you think, right? So if you came home from the playground and said to your mom or dad, this kid's being mean to me at school, how they talked about it influenced how you now process people who cut you off in traffic. It definitely has, you know, has bearing on that. Um, but what we find is that there was a study done with 80-year-old grumpy pessimists <laughs> practicing pessimism their whole lives. They were testing as moderate-level pessimists. If When the researchers just had them list their gratitudes, three new and unique things they were grateful for each day, the ones that kept up that practice for 14 or 21 days actually started testing as low-level pessimists. The ones that kept the practice up for six months tested as low to moderate level optimists. So what it shows us is that at any point in our lives, uh, our neural pathways are malleable. We can form new habits, which in turn can create a new mindset in us. Hmm. Uh, you know, there's one other piece of the fueling backstory. I know you, t you talked about this in the book, and I, I, would hope, I was hoping you would share the story of, you know, the baby being born. I, like, I remember reading that thinking, okay, I, you know, because I come from an Indian family. I'm 38. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, my parents are going to freak out. I'm going to die single. Like, all these things suddenly <laughs> start going through my mind. And I read that, and that, believe it or not, was what gave me a little bit of relief. Oh, yes. Okay, so this is my favorite study I've ever come across, ever, because it just turns everything we think about conception on its head. So I was approaching 35. My husband and I had recently gotten married and we we're going to try to start to have our first child. Um, and if you look in the media at articles on getting pregnant, 35 seems to be this doomsday, you know, good luck after 35. It's just all downhill from there. So I, I started looking at the research behind this and the often repeated study which is everywhere, says that women ages 35 to 39, after a year of trying, 30% of them will still not be pregnant. That's really depressing, 
if you think about it, right? And I think it influences our behavior because it give us, gives us less hope that this is actually going to happen. When I started to fact check this story because I wanted a more hopeful picture and I was hopeful it was out there, I found that, yes, this statistic and this research study was printed in a very prestigious journal called the Journal Reproduction. But when you go and look at the citation of that study, that study is actually based upon French birth records from the years 1670 to <laughs> Oh, my gosh. So this is a time before antibiotics, IVF, modern medicine, and it's completely different than the world we live in now. And then when I went to find more recent studies, it was so much more of a hopeful picture. What we found is that your chances of getting pregnant, even when you're 40 and 41, were significantly better than this study. And so, um, so for women who are thinking about it, I, it just, just to know that there's a stronger possibility that this can happen, or if it's not happening right away for you, you have all of these avenues that you could try, it changes how we operate in the world. So that's good. That's consolation for you when you <laughs> find someone wonderful and you're going to have a family and it's, it's all possible. And, um, and it is back to what you're saying about the locus of control within us. The more that we can see that we have control over our reality, the more we feel empowered to do something about it. So I just completed a study with Ariana Huffington and researcher Sean Acor, which, oh, so you mentioned Sean earlier. He's my <laughs> husband. He's my co-researcher. He's everything with me. So um, anyway, what we found is that if you pair a discussion of a problem with a solution versus just dumping the problem on people, you significantly alleviate negative moods like irritability, hostility, anxiety, and you actually influence in a positive direction people's ability to be creative or to problem solve. We found that when we start talking about solutions that people can take themselves, that uh, in increases problem solving by 20% on unrelated future tasks. So what that means in a, you know, a very practical way is that if you have a problem, whether it's with your family or you know, at your business, with your team, and you can talk to them about the problem and you can pair it with a discussion of potential or actual solutions, not only are you doing good for solving that particular issue, but you're empowering them with this activated mindset that they carry on to the other work they're doing or if it's your children to their schoolwork, you're leaving them in a more positive state than when they started the discussion. Hmm. Okay, so two questions uh, about this. One is more a comment than a question. It was about sort of, you know, a necessary period of grieving. And I remember I saw a therapist after a particularly difficult experience. And I remember he told me, he said, I know you want this to be over. He said, it just doesn't work like that. He said, it's not going as slow as you think. It feels like forever for you because you're in it. And that kind of blew my mind. I, I realized, okay, you know, I had to stop fighting that at some point and let it take its natural course and assume that I would be back to normal at some point. Uh, the other, the other is a question, which is about dealing with, you know, people in our lives. Now you mentioned often it's a byproduct of the environment that we're around. You know, I grew up with a mother who worries about everything. Like mm -hmm. I'm convinced that she thinks every car on the road is going to hit her. Um, she thinks I'm going to drown every time I go surfing. And so, uh, <laughs> I'm really, really curious uh, how we handle people like that in our lives. Yeah, I have my mom worries a lot about the same kind of things. She called me about Zika like five times already. <laughs> yeah, I, I my mom saw an article about Chipotle, and you know I was about to go to lunch, and she said, "Well, there's a bunch of people who got food poisoning. You shouldn't go and eat there." I'm like, "That happened in Seattle. We live in Southern California. What the hell?" I, I know. Now it's funny though, being a mom, because we have a two-year-old Leo and uh, <laughs> I'm starting to understand that mindset more and more. So it's been interesting. But yes, my mom does the same thing. So I, I think what we, the best thing to do with people like that is understand where they're coming from when they're trying to relay that information. Like your mom's coming from a really loving place, right? She's worried about you and she just wants you to be in the know about stuff going on. My mom too. And I think what it does is it lessens the uh, annoyance factor right. of the whole thing, you know? There, so um, she's, uh, she's your news source <laughs> about specific types of stories. Um, but, you know, there are people and I looked at this a lot because of the book that are 
just constantly negative, but in a different kind of way, mm-hmm. complaining about things, telling you all the terrible gossip at the office or stuff they heard about a friend. And that kind of behavior is actually very toxic, not only for them, but for us as well. And that's something where I think if we may take a more proactive approach uh, to, to our relationship with them, that can be really beneficial both for us and them because if you can change, if we can change how we react to those people and their negativity, it creates a more positive feedback loop with them. So, you know, I get a lot of people saying, well, what do I do with really negative people in my life? I just ran a broadcasting happiness e-class that we do every so often. And that was literally the number one question that people send in. Um, the biggest piece of advice I give, well, it's two. One, it's, it's okay to set boundaries we think because sometimes we're working in a cubicle next to somebody that we have to suffer through their bad mood, but we don't. And so for every way that we can set a boundary, it's okay to do it. I got I worked with this woman from Google. She's very funny and she's very positive. She says to me, I'm okay, so you can tell I'm very positive and I swear I'm working next to the most negative person that we have at this company. And you know, his cubicle was pretty close and then we restructured and he got closer and then we restructured again. And the guy is basically just about sitting in my lap. (laughs) If we restructure anymore, I don't know what I'm going to (laughs) do. Um, but what she, you know, but she said, I just, I, I'm struggling on how to best handle him because he's negative, not only just in the, you know, the things he says in meetings, but then he comes back to his desk and he huffs and puffs and he gets on the phone and I've got to hear these toxic phone conversations he's having with people. So we mapped out a strategy to, for her to reorient her desk in a different direction. So he was out of line of sight. She started wearing noise canceling headphones. So she didn't have to hear his negativity. And when she did actually have to deal with him, she came up with a, a two minute drill, which is the idea that, you know, in football, you have a two-minute drill. It's how you're going to score that touchdown when you've only got two minutes on the clock. You practice and practice and practice this so you don't have to think about it when you're when you're in that situation during game, the game. Um, she mapped out a two-minute drill how I'm going to get in, say something nice, uh, compliment him, him on something else, ask my question, get the information, and say one more nice thing and get out and keep it all under two minutes. She said when she started doing all that, what she found was that his power over her and her mood lessened because she was taking back control. But the other most, I think, even more important thing is to realize that when we're faced with somebody who's being negative, negativity is merely expressed suffering. So when they're being negative, complaining about their lives, talking about how stressed out they are, or telling you about how bad the boss is today, and it's a new story, really what's going on inside them is they're suffering. And so ultimately what I think that does is that lessens their power as we start to feel a sense of compassion for them, that they're trapped in this story and they can't see in the mo- this moment the beauty that actually exists at the same time that you have access to but they seem not to in that, in that instance. Hmm. You may have just saved me and my mom a lot of fights. <laughs> Your mom loves you to bits, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, you know, one of the things I'm really interested in is, especially coming from the perspective of a journalist, and given the fact that people are listening to this on a podcast, what are the implications of all of this research for our media consumption habits? Oh, okay. So the other study that we just recently did with Ariana Huffington was we looked at the impact of just a few minutes of news on the brain. And what we found is this. If you begin your day with just three minutes of negative news, you have a 27% higher likelihood of reporting your day as unhappy six to eight hours later. So what's significant about that is that that negative mood and mindset that you might adopt in the morning stays with you through your time at work, through your time with your families. If we can make a small change to the news that we consume um, in a way that can fuel us, then that mindset can stay with us through that that same amount of time. A lot of people will do what I call, uh, they'll, they'll ostrich size themselves. So this is really cute. My niece, one time I came over to her house and she says, I've been ostrich sized to my room all day. And I said, you know, my husband who went to Harvard likes to rag on people who went to Yale. And he said, 
um, he said, uh, the fact that she uses big words is because her, her parents both went to Harvard. The fact that she misuses them is because they later went on to Yale. <laughs> <laughs> I will let my sister who is currently at Yale know that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. My university, while a wonderful place to be, didn't really have a rival. And um, our mascot was the jumbo elephant. So <laughs> what are you going to do there? <laughs> Um, but anyway, so I, but I love that word because, you know, people, I think, and I've done this too, in order to maintain a modicum of happiness, we think that we need to ostracize our self from the events going on in the world because they all seem so negative. It's just better to stick our heads in the sand and feel happy in this ignorant bliss, right? Whereas what we're seeing now is that there's a, a much stronger path that doesn't involve being in the know about every single negative thing going on in the world. It also doesn't involve ignoring the negative stuff and just focusing on puppies and kitties and funny little stories like that. Um, the third path is a path in which we talk about, in the face of challenges, solutions that we can take. This, uh, and it's what I call transformative journalism. It's activating, engaging, solutions-focused reporting. It activates in you a belief that your behavior matters. It engages you through discussion and calls to action. Here's what you can do about this issue. And it's, um, and it's focused on solutions that have been taken before or we can take or, hey, let's talk about this to find out what the solution can be. There's... It's not just problem, 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 problem. If, if we're only exposed to a barrage of problems, our brain starts to believe that everything in the world is beyond our control. And that that in and of itself is the biggest problem that I think we're facing right now. So for our news consumption, I encourage people to be really picky about what kind of articles they read or news they watch. If it's just negative stuff going on in the world, forget it. If you can find news outlets, and there are many of them popping up that can focus on the problem and potential solutions, fill your brain with those stories. And also don't forget to fill your brain with inspiring stories of people and organizations that have overcome challenges and are doing good things in the world. That is fuel for us and it's motivation and empowerment as we move through our lives and face challenges that we have. You know, it's interesting because as you were talking about that, I couldn't help but think back to a portion of Sean's book where he actually mentioned starting your day with something like watching a clip of The Daily Show. And I did that for like months on end. And I was amazed at like how what a difference that made. Yeah. I mean, taking a break and watching a funny YouTube video can be really good. And, you know, and then finding I found some amazing stories. There's a, a new section at Huffington Post. It's almost a year old now, but it's called What's Working? where they focus on individuals and organizations that are doing great things in the world, that have overcome serious challenges, how they've done it. And you read two or three of those stories and you're ready to go. It is so inspiring. Um, so I think the more we fill our heads with the, that, the more we, um, we fill our lives with hope and optimism. Well, uh, this has been phenomenal. So I have one last question for you, which is how we finish all our interviews at The Unmistakable Creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? Mm, that is a fantastic question. I think that to be unmistakable, it's to be a bright light in the world. It's someone uh, who realizes that what they say matters, what they do matters, how they show up matters, and, uh, and they don't squander that power. They see the, the responsibility that comes with it and also the joy that can be created as a result of, of it um, for the people around us. Um, we're such amazing fuel for other people, and, and so I think to be, to be unmistakable in this world, that's, I think that's where it all stems from. Awesome. Well, I really, really appreciate you taking the time to join us and share your story and your insights with our, our listeners. And I'll, I'll link up everything that Michelle has mentioned in the show notes for everybody, and we will wrap the show with that. Next time on The Unmistakable Creative. I've seen people go at it two ways, and, and but only one of those ways appears to work. One is to do nothing until you know what the path is. 
And uh, so there's like, I anal you analyze, you do exercises, you do a lot of self-examination. And what ends up happening is that no idea uh, that you come up with actually ends up feeling strong enough to you that you could say, yes, this is my path. Uh, the, the way, the approach that I do see work is actually the opposite of that is you, you go out and you try things and you experiment and you like go aggressively trying to do great work. And at some point you learn what works and what doesn't work. And there's a kind of a quote that explains that, um, that I got from Eric Reese, the author of Lean Startup, which I've never heard him say this publicly, but he said it to me privately and I really love the quote, which is, a startup is the process by which the founders come to understand themselves. And I just thought that was such a great observation that your path in life is not something that you come to intellectually. It's something that you feel all the way you know, to your core. And so you can't actually know it. You can only know it through experience. When you experience it, you'll say, oh, that is it. That is it. And, um, and so you see this in entrepreneurs where it's like, you don't make decisions in your company based on um, what is the best, po you know, best possible outcome. You're constantly filtering it based on what are you interested in doing. Um, otherwise, we'd all be running like hedge funds or something. Mm -hmm. So it's like you know, by default, we're like we've done major filtering just you know before day one, and um, and so that that's what I see mostly is you have to come at it from experience and so the best thing you can do is really uh try try a lot of things coach.me founder tony stubblebein joins us to talk about decoding human performance mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. 
The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.